Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Women Arsecast February Mailbag Edition. We realise we haven't done a mailbag edition in quite some time and it's fair to say quite a lot has happened even in the last few weeks, let alone since November, the last time we did one. So I put a call out for your questions on Twitter and on the Ask Blog Discord and we had loads and loads and loads and we could have done... I think we could have gone into the Guinness Book of World Records uh, for length of a podcast if we'd taken all of them. Um, quite a lot of themes uh, kind of coming up, but you know, just in the last couple of weeks, we've had the Champions League draw where Arsenal will play Bayern Munich in the quarterfinals. The transfer window, obviously, where three players came in, Gio returning from loan, Jordan Nobbs and Mane Obucci leaving, the abortive search for a striker in January, and we've got loads of questions about that, as you can imagine. Arsenal qualified for the Conti Cup final, where they'll play Chelsea, because why not? We always play Chelsea. <laughs> and two games coming up against Chelsea, that will be great fun, I'm sure. And unfortunately, we've dropped points in each of our last three WSL games. And with the absences of Beth Mead and Vivian Meadema, I think particularly biting um, at the moment. And again, we've got loads of questions about that, as I'm sure you can imagine. And here to chew the fat with me over those two things are Pippa from her sick bed. How are you doing, Pippa? Oh, I've been better. Um, but yeah, I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks very much for joining us um, amongst the kind of the cough medicine, the tissues uh, <laughs> and everything like that. Um, so we, we, we might use Pippa sparingly during this pop- podcast just to spare her voice, um, but <laughs> applaud her commitment. And we've also got uh, Alex Ibisetta with us as well. Alex, how are you doing? Probably better than Pippa, I would have to say. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's let's crack on with the questions. And we're going to start with questions from the Ask Blog Discord server, which you get access to if you are a member of Ask Blog on Patreon. Um, and the first one I'm going to ask, and I'm going to put it to you, Alex, is from Alonby, who asks, and this is this is more of a general question to kick off, because we've got loads of questions that are very specific to Arsenal and transfers, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But a general one. The WSL season seems too short to me. On the other hand, there are so many injuries in the women's game. I'm also not sure there's enough money for additional teams. Do you think we should increase the number of league matches? And if so, how? That's, it's such a hard question. Because obviously WSL is quite a small league. When you look at the overvasting general football leagues, I mean, when you compare it to the Premier League, it's a joke. But even when you compare it to other women's leagues for example Spanish league has just a bit more and they play 30 games a season so it's like it's that little difference but it just depends what you want from it or it depends I think more importantly it depends how the federation is going to schedule everything together because there's no point of having more teams more games to be able to grow the league 
if the FA is not going to be able to schedule that accordingly around external competitions, whether it be Champions League, FA Cup, Conti Cup. So there's not really much of a point of talking about it now until the FA get kind of their stuff sorted out in terms of scheduling. Because um, essentially that's where all the injuries are going to come from. It's going to come from inconsistent times, no rest days, inconsistent in the sense of there is no routine for any of the players. A mm-hmm. midweek game is going to pop up and you're going to play a Sunday again. And yes, they're professional. You have that argument as well, but they're still humans and their body needs a certain amount of time to recuperate. And if you're not giving them that, you're just putting them at exposure for injuries and that's where it all comes from. So, I I mean, I wouldn't be opposed. At the end of the day, I wouldn't be opposed to, to growing the league and making it bigger. But at the same time, there's so much behind that. In order for it to be done, it needs a lot of backing from the FA, which I don't think we have that right now. Yeah, I, I'm I'm on on an in between in this because there's a part of me I look at the championship and I think yeah you could make the WSL like 14 teams probably, but at the same time like we've got an issue with supply of players. Um, you know most teams in the WSL have squads of like 18, 19. Uh, e- you know even Arsenal don't have like their full allocation of 25. Actually, very few teams do. So it's like on one hand it is short. It does seem a bit repetitive, particularly, you know, Arsenal are playing Chelsea in the FA Cup and Chelsea in the Conti Cup and they play Manchester City in the Conti. Like, you do get a lot of repeat fixtures and there is that question about the Conti Cup. But at the same time, I yeah, I think there is a player welfare question, particularly because they're expanding the international calendar, it seems, without really thinking about this this kind of stuff and the pool of players to actually support it. I'm not sure that's there yet. I'm not sure that, like... Could a Leicester take another four games a season, um, for example, with the size of squad they've got? Not really sure at the moment. So I, I don't think we're quite there yet, but I do think it's coming. Um, a more specific Arsenal question now, Pippa. Um, now, obviously, in January, Arsenal really, really tried to get a striker. Jonas Eideval was very, very much on record up front about the need for a striker. They didn't get one. But everything that emerged on kind of transfer deadline day in January about the bid for Alessia Russo. But a story that came out about that day was that Stina Blackstinius was potentially offered as a make weight in the deal, in, in a potential deal for Russo. Um, you know, Jonas Eidebaus denied that at the same time. I don't really question the journalist who had that story in Anton and Molly. So, you know, there's a potential question about Stina Blackstinius's morale at the moment. And uh, Amy77 on our Discord simply asks, do you see a future for Stina at the club beyond this season? Wow, just for the record, I had no idea about that um, situation offering Blackstinius because even that whole uh, Russo saga took me by surprise. I mean, it would have been nice. But if that is true, um, that is not the type of thing you want to say about, one, one of your new signings. She's only been at Arsenal for three months. And two, she is our our other striker whilst our two key players are out injured. So that's not what you want to hear from your new manager and your new club whilst you're settling into London life. Um, so after hearing that, no, I'm not quite sure. I mean, but every time I see Stina, she looks happy. Um, she looks like she's enjoying her football. Um, granted, of course, she could score more goals. I mean, any, any striker would want to score more goals. Um, but no, I if that is true, I see Stina as a short-term plan for Arsenal women now. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think... 
I think the problem for Steena as well is that her role has largely been about making space for other attackers, but those other attackers are currently injured. So there's a real, real need, like like a lot of the attackers we've got at the moment, there's just more of a need, a need for them to score more goals. And I think that, that really puts the spotlight on all of them, um, really. And we've, we've definitely got more questions about that coming down the line. But Alex, if I, um, again, another relatively simple one, just a one-line question here from Aaron on our Discord. And uh, Aaron asks, is the WSL title completely gone now for Arsenal? I hate to say it, but I do have low hopes of that. I think I think this Manchester City game meant more than what it seemed mm. in the sense of, well, most importantly, confidence. We know that Arsenal kind of thrive on confidence and thrive when we don't have it and, and thrive in the wrong way when we don't have it. And I think this match was kind of a mental awareness of how far we are now from A, the title, to even a Champions League spot we're out of a Champions League spot now. And if we do get it to third place, then we have to go through through phases of qualifiers. So it's not even an ideal place for Champions League qualifiers, let alone a title. But the fact that we have one game against all three top teams that we have now not won against this season so far says a lot. We've gotten one point, and that was against Chelsea. And that wasn't the greatest game ever. I think... That day, I think we were a bit lucky because we were actually on top most of the match, but I don't know if that would happen again at the end of the season. So the fact that we have one ma- one match left against all three top teams, that does not give me a lot of confidence. If we would have played already before and potentially could have gotten... I mean, one of, one of those three teams, if not all, are going to draw points between now and the end of the season. I think, mm-hmm. that's, I think that's quite clear. But that means that so, so are we, essentially. And we have in the last couple in the last couple of match days. So I am not confident. The way we're going and the way the confidence and it's just maths. Like we've we've let down a lot of points already that it's gonna be so hard to come back and now we're gonna have to rely on other teams to drop points rather than us being able to keep it up. Um so I'm I'm a bit weary for, for the title race. Now I'm just gonna focus, make sure we still have Champions League next season. <laughs> I'm just gonna say yes, the title is gone. But as a women's football fan, I've been wanting and yearning for the WSL to be more competitive and more teams to be competing for those top spots, but not not at the expense of Arsenal sitting fourth. No, <laughs> no, that's not what I wanted. Yeah, I like mathematically, it's not, you know, look, if Arsenal win all their games, they'll win it um, because, you know, they've got a game in hand. But obviously those games include City at home, Chelsea away, Manchester United away. For me... Like as soon as Beth and Viv were injured, psychologically I wrote the title off because I just don't think anyone wins the league when that happens. I just don't. And I know people don't like hearing it and regard it as an excuse and all of that. But if two Ballon d'Or winners come out of your team for that lot, like it's going to have an impact. And it's not just the quality of those players. Those players have played nearly every game for five years. So Arsenal don't know how to play without those players because they haven't had to do it before. So what they're essentially doing is on the fly, trying to learn a new way to play and trying to learn a new way to play without two Ballon d'Or winners. I don't think anyone wins the league when that happens. I think if in November or December, like Chelsea lost Sam Kerr and let's say Lauren James to ACL injuries, they wouldn't win the league either. Like I just think it's kind of as simple as that. It is annoying though, because I think, 
this is the weakest Chelsea have looked to me for quite some time. I think I don't think they have a midfield and I think they were there for the taking and we've not been able to do it. City obviously were handicapped massively by losing their entire midfield at the beginning of the season. United to me look like the ones that can challenge, but they have to have no injuries, I think, to challenge. I think if they get, like Elatoon being suspended for that Chelsea game, I think that might literally cost them the title. Like, I think it's that fine for Manchester United. So it's annoying because I think the league was there for the taking this year. But I just think when you lose two players like that, like, I'm sorry, it just has a massive, massive impact. And when we talk about those big games, again, annoying. We should have beaten Chelsea, should have beaten Manchester United. Miedema started none of those games. Beth Mead played one of them. We didn't have Kim Little, Hafaeli or Leo Williamson against Manchester United. Like, that, that is significant. And it does make me worry about the level of some of the games we got left this season um, as well. So... I mean, it's it's not gone mathematically. In fact, it's nowhere near gone mathematically, but I I, I don't expect it, put it that way. Um, and, you know, on, on that note, Pippa, this, this is another actually a fairly straightforward question uh, from Andrew Gambrill, who is at Andrew Gambrill on Twitter. Who has been the biggest loss for you, Beth Mead or Vivian Miedema? I have a very definite answer to this, but I'm interested in yours. Well, that's such a tough one because there are two of... <laughs> On paper, two of the best players in the squad and two of, and two of my favourite players. But for me, I think I would go with Beth Mead. Um, I just feel like in most recent seasons, especially last season, she's been more influential. Vivian Mead has missed quite a few games for other reasons and personal reasons. But Beth Mead, every time she plays, she produces something. Whether it's assists, whether it's goals, she is in the mix. And she's a very, she has that physicality about, physicality about her as well. Sorry, sorry, yeah. the whole half is sick, sorry. <laughs> <That's fine>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, for me, it's Beth Mead. Of course, I'd love both of them back in the squad, but what Beth Mead brings to that team, not many other teams in the WSL have that. What about you, Alex? I have to agree. I think what Beth gives to the team over Viv, and if you're looking at it, also a domino effect. Without Viv being there, you have Freedom Adam stepping into the midfield. So it's not an entire loss in that position, considering how good Freedom Adam is right now. But you have Beth and you take her out on the wing and you see the lack of, of pace, of crosses, of assists, the energy. You see the lack of that so far. With Victoria Pillow, I know we'll, we'll probably talk about Victoria Pillow, but you see it come back a bit more. But you're talking about a player that just came in. Again, Beth played almost every single match over the last five years. Victoria Pillow is not going to step in and feel the same comfort that Beth does on the pitch. But... I think what Beth left behind, when you look at what we're struggling with precisely, is scoring goals. And I think Beth was at the forefront of that. And I think, yeah, that's that's a way bigger gap than what Viv left behind. Yeah, I completely agree with both of you. If you, know, if you were to ask me who do I think is the better player, um, there's not much in it, but, but I'd say Viv, just because I think she's overall you know, probably the best player in the world in terms of talent. But yeah, I completely agree. And particularly with what you said, Alex, like I think Frida coming in for Viv makes that less of a blow. Whereas for Beth, it's um, it's not even like the quality of the replacements per se. It's just they're so different. Like Frida for Viv is like a fairly good analogue. And Frida scores a lot of goals as well um, for, for a number 10. But it's yeah, the lack of Beth is is around, and you can see we're trying different things. Like sometimes Lena Hurtig plays there, sometimes Caitlin Ford, sometimes Katie McKet. Like we haven't found it 
yet in terms of who starts really on that right-hand side. And whoever it is is completely different to Beth. So it's not even really like a quality thing. It's just a, the balance of the team thing. And, and I completely agree. I think she's she's the bigger loss um, at the moment. And uh, I'll, I'll throw this one to you, Alex, since she referenced it. Um, about Victoria Pulova, and this is from Eileen, who is at Eileen EST on Twitter. In which roles do you see our new signings featuring for the rest of the season, and what is expectable? What is reasonable to expect from them? So that's Catherine Cool and uh, Victoria Pulova, um, and I guess Sabrina D'Angelo as well. Although we've got a question about her specifically, so um, maybe let's go with Victoria and Catherine. Yeah, I. I mean, look. Victoria Pilova has been one of my favorite players for a couple of years now. Um, she's been one to watch for a long while now, and it's it was only a matter of time when she stepped out of the Netherlands to play club football. But you saw her in the Euros this summer. I think that's where people really caught the eye. She came on as a sub every single match. She made an impact. And it was, again, with the lack of a Liga Martins, for example, you have Liga Martins coming off, you have Victoria Pilova coming in with a fresh new face, with the energy. And, you know, it's it's an environment that she's obviously more comfortable with than Arsenal. And I think she might provide something similar when we're talking about Beth's replacement. I think she's a good one. I mean, you saw her against Man City. She's able to hold the ball up. I think against Man City, what the problem was that she had, she had no overla- overlapping runs. Um, she did everything right. She received the ball, held the ball up footwork got into space but there was no one to release the ball into and that's where you didn't really see the best of her because I think that would have been very very key if Arsenal would have been able to capitalize on that and but you see her she's good physically she's good technically she's intelligent she is a very Dutch player in the bestest of sense when you look at Miedema and all the qualities that Miedema has Victoria Pilova is, is very similar in terms of quality but very 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 different style of play um, and then you look at uh, Katrina Kuhl. I mean, you saw her in the midfield again. Her touches, her vision, her intelligence, it's all there. She's very young, and you kind of forget about that when you look at her play. Because you look at her alongside Kim Little, and she looked outstanding. Um, I think now what she's lacking is, apart from the obvious everyday answer, an experience when you're talking about young player, I think now it's about learning how to play off of each other. When you look at how she played against Kim Little, they still didn't really understand what they wanted, what each of them wanted. But when you look at the energy that Katarina and, and Victoria Pilova bring into the team, I think it sparks something new. And once they're able to get into that comfort zone, I think that's going to make all the big difference. But do we have time for them to settle into their comfort zone yeah. by the end of the season? That's going to be a big no. So that's a project for next season, unfortunately. But I think the potential is all there. And I think for this season, you're expecting individual creativity and individual spark not necessarily a team spark just yet so I I would say not to expect for them to be you know the perfect team player by the end of the season but do expect them because they are both individually brilliant expect them to actually make a difference but not you know 10 goals by the end of the season so I say you're going to see them sparking you're going to be able to see that potential going into next season but look they're both young Jonas can mold them into basically whatever he wants. And with the players around them, I think it's going to be really, really good. Um, but yeah, I would say expect less, but still expect more individually because they're amazing players. Yeah, I, I think there's a short-term and a long-term question here because the thing is that they're basically, they're a 10 and an 8. And actually, that's one area where Arsenal don't have injuries. 
Um, so I don't, I don't really expect to see Palova start over Marnham, um, for example. I don't really expect Katrina Cool to start over Kim Little, not at this stage. So I think really Katrina Cool, I think like basically I see them as direct replacements for Jordan Nobbs and Mane Iwabuchi, who were both like bench players, but I think they're like bench slash rotation players that the manager actually likes and trusts, which was not the case with with Jordan and Manor. So I think they'll be like Jordan and Manor plus. I do think we have seen Victoria Pullover in that wide position a couple of times now in the last couple of games. I do think we'll see that. And like essentially what we've just been talking about is Arsenal haven't found out what they're going to do on the flanks yet. They've been trying many different things and Pullover might end up being the short-term answer there. Like he's going to have to settle on something at some stage. I wouldn't mind betting that it might be Pullover. Um, just to give, like, just to have a bit more of a playmaker in that front line. But, like, Katrina Cool, I, I think, don't expect too much this season. Um, you know, expect her to come on in games and finish games, but not much more than that. I think long term, they're probably looking at her taking some of the burden off Kim. But, yeah, Paloba's the, the most interesting one. Sorry, Alex, you want to come back in on that? Yeah, it was going off of what you said in terms of how she's naturally a midfield. I think if Jonas continues up, um, with this awful three in the back formation. Um, what happens is, yeah, so Victoria Pulova holds the ball up and then she cuts inside and runs into the space that she usually would if she was a number 10. So I think it suits her in that position of, of being out wide, holding the ball up and either able to play into the ball and run into the space as a 10 or hold the ball up, do something good and run into the space and drag the defenders along with her to create more space for everyone mm. else, and which case would create space for a Cena Baxinius or our actual number 10, for example. Um, but I think there was just not enough support around her to be able to play that way. And it, and it was all there against City. She was bringing up the fullback. Um, but our makeshift wing backs were not making the overlapping runs, so that was all going to waste. Um, but I think it actually... If we continue with the back three, I think that position could be hers and she can make it really, really well. It's just a matter of all around her. But I think it, yeah, going into that space that she usually would have as a 10, she's obviously really good at. So I think it could it could do well for Arsenal. But again, it depends on external factors. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's part of the reason he did it as well. Like you say, if you've got wing backs, you've got those wide players and she was much more of an inside forward um, rather than a, like a winger. Whereas if you go to a four then you're more of a wide player. And again, this is all just a symptom of the fact that we're looking for solutions um, for playing without Beth Mead in particular. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know how that's going to turn out, but I think we're just going to keep trying things until something sticks. Um, Pippa, if I turn this one over to you, it's from Yana at uh, Yana DW underscore. What do you now think the club would consider a success for this season? At the start of the season, I'd have said a trophy Champions League quarterfinal and top two finish, but I don't think that's realistic anymore given the circumstances. There's a second part of her question about Claire Wheatley, but we've got loads of questions about that, so I'll, I'll put that on hold. So what do you think is a realistic expectation now for Arsenal for the remainder of this season? Oh, Yana, you sound like you've lost all hope. <laughs> um, well, obviously now I, I think... A successful season would be getting a Champions League spot. I know they said that it's not realistic, but as we know, it's still a possibility. We're just going to have to <laughs> win all our games, which uh, is not going to be easy with the remaining fixtures we have. Um, but for me, it's also 
winning something the Conti Cup I know we play Chelsea every single time and uh, I don't remember the last time we actually beat them but if we can get that one over the line um, that would be a successful season I mean I know it sounds bad but I was gutted when we got Chelsea in the final I was like again give me something different please Um, (laughs) but yeah hopefully we can um, get the win this time yeah, I, I actually don't think that sounds unrealistic. Like we're in the quarterfinal of the Champions League against Bayern. I think that will be very close. Don't know. I think that's a coin flip. Which way that goes? We're in a final um, in terms of the Conti Cup. I still think I still think second is is perfectly realistic. I don't think Manchester City look amazing. Um, like I said, I think Manchester United. I think it's fragile for them. I think they could really challenge. But it really depends on fitness of key players. I don't think they've got a squad depth there um, to, to really sustain, and they don't rotate a lot. So I'll be interested to see how they end the season. But I, I think like semi-final, win a cup, finish second. Like, I, wait, semi-final in the Champions League? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like you know, like Bayern. By like I said, Bayern's a coin flip tie. I'm not. I'm not yeah, really yeah. furious if we don't win it, but I think we can. Um, so like, yeah, I, we're already in the quarterfinal. We're already in a cup final. I, I've always felt this season, even before all the injuries and everything, which probably adjusted expectations. And I don't usually like being definite like this because seasons are weird and weird stuff can happen. But I always felt we have to win a trophy this year. Like I really don't think it can go on not winning the league. I thought we were quite good last year. I was reasonably happy with last season, but like, because you can be crap and win a cup, or you can be brilliant and not win a cup. Like cup competitions, a cup competition. But I've always felt we need a trophy this season, and and like I have got my eye on that Conti Cup final. Um, I know it's not the most prestigious of the trophies we're going for, but I I just feel like we've really got to get we've really got to get something over the line in terms of building the belief of the team and the fan base. And these questions are always a great gauge for like how the fan base is feeling. And I really, really think that that would like really, really kind of build some belief um, throughout the club. So uh, uh, Tim, I noticed that you didn't didn't mention anything about the FA Cup. Is that because we've got to play Chelsea in that as well? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, look, look, win one of the domestic cups. It's just, we're in the Conti Cup final. If, if we got past Chelsea in the FA Cup, like we'd be favourites, like surely. Um, You know, I know like City and United are still there, but like if, if we get like to win any of the domestic cups we have to beat at least one of those teams to do the Conti Cup I know we were given a bye to the quarterfinal and that's a bit silly but we'll still have beaten Manchester City and Chelsea to win it which to me that kind of makes you deserve winners because if you're going to win it you've got to beat at least one of those teams so yeah one of the domestic cups but I mean I'd love to take the Conti Cup as well just because that happens a couple of months before the end of the season and I just think it would like just give some good vibes out of those last few weeks of the season. But um, speaking of good vibes, let's get into some really heavy stuff now, Alex. We've had loads of questions about... So, obviously, it's two transfer windows in a row now where Jonas has been very upfront about the fact that he didn't get all the players he wanted. He said in the summer he felt that they were one short of what he wanted. He was very, very clear. Um, throughout January that he felt Arsenal needed a goal scorer. They tried to get Debye, that didn't happen. They tried to get Chloe Lacasse from Benfica, that didn't happen. They tried to, and then 
kind of went into panic mode in the last 24 hours, tried to get Alessio Russo, tried to get Signa Brun. And uh, Signa Brun, I think, could have happened if maybe we'd made that move a week earlier. But, I mean, from what I'm told, to be fair, I think they had a fair amount of encouragement over Chloe Lacasse and were, were quite confident of getting that done. <clears throat> and I don't necessarily think it's Arsenal's fault that that wasn't done. But nevertheless... Um, we've had loads and loads of questions about like transfers, et cetera, et cetera. So um, let me just read a couple of them. Belinda at Marnamit's Twitter. Do you think Jonas may feel quite let down that Arsenal failed to get a striker in the summer and January and may kickstart a review in recruitment? Um, Ball Ludlow at Deado Park. Uh, is Claire Wheatley's time up? Will we see significant backroom changes this summer? She's had an extremely unsuccessful tenure within the context of our history, and the last two transfer windows have put the spotlight on her. Hernandez at uh, Alua Femi H underscore. Is it time for Claire Wheatley to go? Considering all the issues we've faced this season, it's obvious we won't win the league and might have another trophyless season. I think she's responsible for our decline. And, um, and yeah, so we had loads of questions about Claire Wheatley, recruitment, et cetera, et cetera. What are your views on that? Do you think it's time that Arsenal um, maybe made some changes in that kind of backroom when it came to when it comes to getting deals over the line? In a short space, I would say yes. Um, when you look at Claire Wheatley, she's been there for a very long time. And in that very long time, I feel like Arsenal have not advanced much. Um, so when you look at it on that perspective, it it could be time to start a new cycle, especially with the review that we did last season. You know, you expect a lot of changes to have happened, and that's kind of one that you want when someone's been there for X amount of time. It happens with, I think, any job also. When you've been there X amount of time, if you you've not advanced the workplace that you're at, it might be time to to go step away from it and just let someone else um, kind of start that up again. But Look, I do have to say that, in theory, us signing Stina Blackstenius was, in theory, signing a striker and a goal scorer. Because that didn't work out, that's another story. But essentially, mm-hmm. we did get a striker in there at one point. Um, and again, it's sad that it didn't work out because she was supposed to be the goal scorer um, because Viv had dropped them into the midfield. But the recruitment is is a very... I think touchy subject in Arsenal at the moment because you look at what Jonas wants and I don't think he has it entirely clear just yet considering how he's um like the formations and what the style play I don't think he has it entirely clear yet so when you put that together with a very shaky um recruitment process it's just a recipe for disaster and you're you're kind of seeing it you're you're seeing these really good players come in you're seeing these okay players come in you're seeing really good players coming out that another manager would have never done. And you're kind of questioning everything. And it's, and it's fair to say, because Jonas, I don't think has that, that grip of, of what he wants to do, what he wants. And it's taking a toll on Arsenal. And I'm not saying it's entirely his fault, but it is kind of like, okay, you know, you, you've been here X amount of time already. You're kind of expecting to have been advanced a bit further down the line than you, you have been. And then you have the argument of, give him time, let him settle in, let the players settle in. But it's it's not going anywhere. And it's and we've talked about the WSL, you know, you're there's no surprise as to what kind of team you're gonna be facing. You're gonna be facing Chelsea, mm-hmm. you're gonna be facing Man City, you're gonna be Chelsea, you're gonna be facing Man United. There's no surprise to that. You, each of them have, especially Chelsea, that's gonna be your main focus for the title race. 
you know how Emma Hayes is going to be. You know what she plays at. There's no surprise. So if you're not able to kind of work towards that, when you literally could not have it more easier than compete for the title for that. And I'm, of course, there's many factors for that. I'm just talking very straightforward. If you're not able to do that, when you have your answer very clear, it's um, it's quite hard to kind of get behind you in that sense. Get behind mm-hmm. you and get behind the back from stuff. So it's, it's I, in short theory, I would say, yes, there needs to be reshuffling. But again, if it's not going to be done right, then there's no point to it either. So it just depends where Arsenal stand at that point. Hi, I'm Leah Williamson, and you're listening to the Arsenal Women Askcast on Arsenal. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you've been in my head. I'm normally a one-take wonder. Hi, I'm Leah Williamson, and you're listening to the Arsenal Women Askcast on askblog.com. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jonas has said himself, like, they need to review the way they think they do things on recruitment. Um, And, you know, like, review can be quite a loaded word. Does that mean that, like, um, so the way the structure works at Arsenal, Claire Wheatley reports into Richard Garlick, uh, who then reports into Vinay. So Richard Garlick's the one who has, like, executive oversight of the women's side. Um, And he'll do, like, performance evaluations of of Claire Wheatley and the manager, etc., etc. So... Um, it's it, you know does review mean like you know getting the suits in getting the consultants in or does it just mean sitting down and having a chat and saying how do we do this better um, pro- I, I think Jonas probably meant the latter there more I don't know enough about what's going on behind the scenes to sit here and tell you yeah it's Claire Wheatley's fault that we're not getting deals over the line I, I don't really know all I know is that we're not getting deals over the line I don't know exactly where the fault lines are but that is an issue there doesn't seem to be an issue um, in terms of the level of backing the club is willing to give I guess the thing I'm concerned about is the sense of panic really um, so, for example, Arsenal really wanted JC, uh, the Brazilian winger who ended up going to Barcelona in the summer, and they didn't get her, and they went to Lena Hurtig, completely different player. Um, and then, like the strikers, I have a little bit more sympathy on the striker search. I do think Debian and Chloe Lacasse are, are fairly similar. I, I do understand why he'd want Russo. I think Russo is is a bit like Blackstenius. I do think she'd fit in and then Signa Bruin was I mean that was just a that was a bit of a grab but I guess it's sometimes the targets don't particularly match up if that makes sense like going from JC to Lena Hurtig and I'm not clear on whether that's Jonas or whether that's like that there's a sense of panic that there isn't like a proper 
strategy, proper talent ID. But then like there have been some really good signings, like Laura Wienreuter, like what a signing that's been. Hafaeli, like brilliant, brilliant kind of talent ID. And it's it's hard in the women's game because there aren't the kind of the scout the vast scouting networks. Um clubs really don't share a lot of information. So it's actually quite difficult to work out who's available. And who isn't because there isn't that sense yet in the men's game. There's lots of data sharing and and stuff like that that isn't in the women's game. So when you're going into the transfer market, you're going a bit blind. Like even even money bags Chelsea, what what have they tried to do to fix their midfield? Like they tried to buy Grace Guerrero. Well, they're not going to get her. They tried to buy Katie McCabe. They're not going to get her. Like I, I don't necessarily think that's just an Arsenal problem, but I think definitely, 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 there is an issue with recruitment. I don't know where the fault lines are, but I, you know, something has to change there. I think I don't. I don't know what the answer is. Whether that's replacing staff, bringing in other staff, I'm not sure. But it, it's it's definitely a problem by the manager's own admission, and I think I, I'd like to see some sense that the recruitment is a bit more strategized um to be honest but yeah we'll see there um okay let's go on to i mean obviously there's loads of questions about the attack um which i think makes a lot of sense because that does seem to be an issue at the moment so um kp who is at kpunch 15 it feels like we've become a team in transition since january how long do you think it will take our attacking third to click. And then on this uh, subject, at Beltran's Old Mole asks, what is your preferred front three? For me, Hertig and Ford are too similar, though I prefer Caitlin, and we need more of a traditional wide forward for Jonas's style. So there's um, some questions about our attack there. Pippa, if I throw that over to you first, like, do, do you, let, let me ask it a bit more plainly. Do you have any sense that this is going to work before the end of the season? Or do you think it's kind of going to carry on as it has been and we're just going to keep like looking for solutions? I don't want to be the negative, Nancy. <laughs> but I think one of the questions was how long will it take to click? I think, well, how long is a piece of string? We have mm. no idea. And um, for me, any front three that has Caitlin Ford in it is, is one... Well, Caitlin Ford is the only one for me that shows some attacking prowess. That's, that's the only... I know it sounds harsh, but for me, Caitlin Ford is the only one that seems like an all-round player that she can mm. attack the front lines, score goals, get assists, um, and just seems more dominant in that area in the final third. But honestly, I have no, I have no idea how long it's going to take to figure out and get and find a solution for our lack of goals scored because it, it does feel like that at the moment. Um, but if I'm honest, I think it will solve itself when Beth and Viv are back. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the plain answer. And if, when they're back to full fitness and when they're back to their, their normal selves. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, uh, Alex, if we take the second question there from uh, Beltran's old mole, who, who's your preferred front three of our options? Th- this, to me, is the kind of meat of the question because, again, I don't necessarily think it's all about like the quality. I, I think the chemistry is really difficult to get right with our available attacking options. So if you were picking a front three for say the Conti Cup final and it's happening tomorrow, who would you pick? I was I was very deep in thought as Pippa was answering that question. <laughs> um I'm gonna okay, I'm gonna stick with the back three that Jonas is trying to imply. And I'm gonna go and we're including the wing backs into this attacking 
sense. Um, on the left side, I would leave Steph Catley and Katie McCabe mm-hmm. on one side. Um, on the other side, I would have... Oh, this is a hard one. I didn't think this through entirely. <laughs> I think on the other side, I would have... Noel Maditz and Victoria Pulova and have Caitlin Ford down the middle. Okay. I think that would be... I think I'm going to stick with that one. I do. I think, oh, I think Victoria Pulova and Caitlin Ford can work really well together because Caitlin Ford is really good off a good playmaker. Um, so I would like to see that. And with Steph Catley, um, I mean, she's the overlapping queen, so I think that's quite obvious. And with Katie McCabe, I think they work actually really well together when they play on the same side. And Noel Maritz would provide a bit more overlapping than Wine Radier, for example. Um, I think that would be it. Would be Victoria Pulova, Caitlin, and Ke as the front three, essentially. Fair, Pippa, you wanted to come in on that. Oh no! It's only when you mentioned the, the right side. I was thinking, how come you didn't pick Laura? Do you want to take that? Why Noel? Why Noel over Laura? Um. Well, I think Laura. Laura is the better. Defender, defender. That that's not a word. Um, <laughs> it is now. <laughs> I just made it a word. She's a better defender, I think. But against City, she didn't really understand the assignment and the overlapping. And I just think it's just not part of her game naturally. And it, I think it cost us the attack again. Victoria Pulova, she was holding up the ball really well and had nowhere to go because Laura was kind of holding back instead of running forward where the entire space could have been we could have broke we could have broken through at least three lines if Laura would have done that and she barely did that and I think Noel Maritz understands the assignment a bit more when it comes to overlapping and going into space and I think Noel has the pace to do it over Laura as well um when it comes to that um so when you just look at the style play that Arsenal are essentially attempting to play with the back three um I think Noel fits into it a lot more because Laura kind of just did not do that against City, and that's that's entirely where I think it broke down. Essentially, fair. I am. Um, I I I think at the moment, and again, this is really hard, um, just because I don't think there is like a brilliant mix between any of the attacking players we've got. But at the moment, I would probably go Katie McCabe on the left. Um, I'd go Caitlin Ford on the right, um, and then uh, Steena up front, but. I would I would very much view the subs as a big part of this. So Gio, we got a question about her later. Actually, I think very good impact sub material. Not not least because Arsenal fans will see it when she plays a bit more. She is lightning quick. She is so quick, and actually, it's it's such a shame that she's. I don't think she's quite ready to like start every game. She's the most Beth like player we have. Um, in terms of like pressing and nicking the ball, she's really, really strong at that. I'm, I'm not quite sure she's ready to start every game at the moment, but I'd see her as a very good impact sub. And, and Pullover, I, I mean, I need to see more of Pullover out wide because it does strike me that that would give us a better balance in terms of I don't think we have a lot of create. Like, I look at our front four, you include Frida in that. And I like say, um, you know, recently we've had like Lena Hertig on the right. Caitlin Ford on the left, Steena up front, Frida behind. To me, that's like powerful. That's big. But there's not a lot of like 
craft in there. There isn't like a creator there. So for me, that's the question. How do we get that kind of that other more creative player? I think Katie McCabe is just the one I've seen the most of. So I'd go with her at the moment. But I do think um, there's potential there for for Victoria Pulover and definitely Gio to finish games um, from the bench. And I, I think the reality is we're going to be grappling with this for another couple of weeks and, and hopefully something comes off. Um, let's go with this question from Caroline, who is at iron underscore line 81. Um, well, actually, to be fair, we've kind of addressed this. There was a question about um, what, what our young signings can do for the rest of the season. I think we've kind of done that one. Um, but all right, let's go, let's go with this one since I was just talking about her. Jeremy Bradley at Jeremy Bradley 49. And I'll throw this one to Alex. How much of an influence do you see Gio being for the rest of the season? She seems to have so much potential. Yeah, I think for the rest of the season, probably not much. I think it's one of those with the short-term, long-term perspectives on it. Gio is a very young player who's been playing professionally for a very long time. Um, and you kind of forget how young she is because she's been in the professional game for so long, obviously with Barcelona. Um, in the Spanish league, she's played professionally since a very young age. And you forget she's young and she still has a lot to mature about. And unfortunately for the last couple of seasons, it's been kind of inconsistent in the in the playing time that she's been able to get. So look, she's been playing professionally for a long time because she is that good. She is a really good player, but... I think for her, both personally and professionally, she just needs to settle down somewhere for once and for all. And I'm not saying forever, but she needs to settle down and feel the environment and feel comfortable in the environment. And then you will see the best of her. So that's not going to happen within the next few months. You're not going to see that impact. You're going to see, again, those individual sparks of what to expect from her come next season when she is more settled into the team. But from now until the end of the season, you're going to kind of see a patch of what to expect in her and what she can do for the team. Um, she's going to do her best and her best, again, the standard of, of our new younger signings, we're counting Gio into this, is, is mm. quite high. And you're going to see some really good, really, 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 really good stuff. Is it going to be what you expect or what you want from a signing instantly? No. But I think Gio is, is a good long-term project. And again, I back, she is an amazing player. But I think it is now about getting her settled in. And it looks like it's going in the right direction. You know, with Rafael there, that's a bit home. You know, she's getting on with the other young players, with Katrina, for example. So I think it's it's the process is already starting. And I think if we see Gio at her best, I think it will be what Arsenal need, essentially, in that front line. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's like the other signing, but but more so because she's even younger. Uh, well, she's nineteen, so it's it's one of those. I really want to shout about this signing because I've seen a lot of Gio over the years playing for Brazil, and she's a mega talent. But I don't want to shout about it too much, particularly with our attack um, as it is at the moment, because she's she's not going to rescue our attack. That would be a completely unfair expectation. What we do have. Is, is a mega talented player. I think you're exactly right with what you say in terms of her settling in, needing to feel at home because she was at Barca. She at, was she at Atleti um, before that? And she spent time on loan at Levante. She's had a loan spell at Everton. 
in the men's game, I see this with Brazilian players and South American players all the time. They're fairly nomadic. And Gio like moved to the US when she was a teenager. So like the last five years for her have been like moving around a lot. And I think you're exactly right. She just she needs to settle somewhere. And as much as the Everton loan was a bit of a bust for her, I think in the long term, having this this couple of months at Arsenal leading into next season will be really valuable for her. I, I really think it will. And, and I think that might even be better than her being at Everton, which frankly, were it not for the injuries, she would have stayed there or she would have gone somewhere else on loan. She wouldn't be here. But I think it will be useful for the long term to have her here. Like you say, she's living with Katrina Cole at the moment, she seems to be getting on with members of the team. And, that, and that's what the next few months is about. And, and I wouldn't expect to see much more than like an impact player from the bench for the rest of the season. Um, but we've got a mega talent on our hands and it, it's just, it's another thing, right? Where three really, really strong young players have come into the team um, in January, but I don't think any of them are going to rescue our season right away. They're, they're long-term signings and that's, you know, that's both good and frustrating at the same time. But one signing that we did make, um, let's see if I can find the question because I seem to have lost it. Um is Sabrina D'Angelo, a Canadian 29-year-old goalkeeper, um, which is not one for the future. And actually a really interesting signing because if you sign 29-year-old goalkeepers who are competing for the number one jersey for someone like Canada, they've not come to be your backup goalkeeper, essentially. And we know that Manu's uh, contract is up at the end of the season. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you both this question. Um, forgive me, I seem to have lost it. Someone did ask it, um, but I remember the question anyway. But it's basically, and I'll, I'll go to you first, Pippa. Do you think, like Sabrina D'Angelo has played two games in the Conti Cup, been really, really strong in both, kept two clean sheets. Do you, would, you, would you start her over Manu Zinsberger at the moment? I mean, she was incredible, uh, especially in that Man City game. She made some really, really good saves, but... For me, it's too soon for me to say anyone should take anyone's position yet. Uh, Venicino played twice um, in the cup competitions, but she looks good. That is the thing. She does look good. But I'm concerned. I mean, Manu has been for quite a few se- a couple of seasons now. Um, I know her contract's running out soon, but I didn't expect her to... I just felt like she'd be with Arsenal for a very long time. I don't know why. I feel like she's part of the furniture now. Um, one of our players, and uh, she's been with us for a transition period. And... Um, but as you say, Sabrina is not the youngest goalkeeper. She's competed for a number one spot um, for Canada. But I like Sabrina D'Angelo. I mean, she's already got a chant. If that doesn't tell you something, <laughs> fans love her already. They was they were singing her name throughout the whole game, and I love that. Um, but it's too soon for me to say whether she'll take Manu's spot. I mean, if she does, I wouldn't be mad about it because she looks a very good goalkeeper. Um, but I think it's unfair for her to come in and take the spot straight away. Yeah, yeah. And um, and and the question I remember as well, the question kind of had at the end of it, it looks like Manu's going to go at the end of the season and that Sabrina D'Angelo would probably be the number one at that point anyway. So do we just, uh, I think they phrased the question, do we just rip the plaster now? What do you reckon, Alex? It's a hard one. I think Manu's going to be very hard to replace in terms of, yeah, you know, she's fitting with this Arsenal squad really, really well, and over, especially because over the last two seasons, she's become the keeper that we've always wanted her to be, essentially. And she's at the top of her game right now. So to lose her, I think, would be quite 
it would suck basically to put it in a very nice way um and you're kind of starting with the new keeper that hasn't necessarily settled in and i think what makes it worse now is that manu was here from before she settled in with Aaliyah Williamson with the Lotto with the KE with the stuff you know she knows how to play with them and you're bringing in a new keeper that's coming under Jonas who does not know the same that he does not know what he wants to do yet you know those weird goal kicks with Rafael and the keeper I still don't understand um so you're bringing in my concern is you're bringing in a new keeper different style player than Manu into a team that is chaotic essentially um, and I don't know how that's necessarily going to work out. But in terms of shop stopping, I think she was she was quite good against Man City. Again, we haven't seen her that much in an Arsenal setting, for example. Because um, again, you know, a Canada style play is completely different. She played in Sweden before. She played in the NWSL before. Completely different style play than an Arsenal. And again, Manu had the Joe Montemurro foundation of playing, being comfortable playing with your feet, essentially, which you essentially need when you have the back line that we do that bring in a lot of pressure and you want that outlet for your keeper so I don't know how she's gonna be essentially but again I don't think it's entirely down to her I think it's just entirely down to Jonas needs to kind of get it together have a clear game plan for her to let her grow into I think that would be my biggest concern but I think you know I haven't seen her that much either but she looks solid and it's what we need Mm -hmm. and I don't think replacing Manu is going to be quite hard, especially because there's not a lot of keepers out there um, to the same standard. And the ones that are to the same standard already are with a very big team. Yeah. So it's it's a hard one. Yeah, I, 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 find, I find this really fascinating, this signing. I think this is our most interesting signing of January. I mean, I think we've all making the assumption, and I think a, a fairly well placed assumption that that Manu probably is going to go. She does have a, a further an option of another year on her contract, but she gave an interview in the Austrian press where she sounded a little bit non committal on that, and I believe her fiance is in Germany and and things like that. So you know, I, I I don't know enough about that really to comment on it. And and I I am like. I'm I'm with Pippa on this in terms of I'm wary of new toy syndrome when you get a new signing and it's like they play two games and they play quite well and you're like, well, they're brilliant. And, and you know, I think Manu has developed in a way that I didn't expect. I have to be honest. When we first signed her, I looked at Manu and I was like, I see a footballer, but I'm not sure I see a goalkeeper. I don't think that anymore. I think she's developed so much. But what really, really caught my ear was we did a podcast with Amanda Zaza about Sabrina and I asked just as a general question, open question, I said, what 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 do you think Sabrina's biggest qualities are? And she said, oh, she plucks the ball out of the air and she, she distributes quickly and she's got good long distribution. And I was like, those are all the things, those are probably the three things Manu, Manu doesn't have. Um, like, in terms of distribution, completely different, like long distribution. I have to be honest, when I was looking at the Man City game with Arsenal like playing themselves into trouble all the time, there was a big part of me that was thinking, I wish like Sabrina was just there to boot the ball over the top of this City press. So what's really interesting is she seems completely different. Um, and one of the first questions I ever asked Jonas was about his philosophy with goalkeepers because Joe used to rotate them and he said, no, no, I don't like that. I like having a clear number one. But now uh, that that seems to be less the case. But I, I, like, I do think Sabrina will be number one. 
Um, I, I, I'm kind of with Pippa. I think two games is too soon, and particularly when you've got a senior player like Manu, uh, Manu rather. I keep getting that wrong, Manu, Manu. Um, you know, I, I think it would be, and she hasn't really done anything to get dropped. You know, I think that would be, and sometimes you have to consider what impact that would have on like the whole team as well. And I think you also make a very good point, Alex, that there's already a lot of change in this team, and we're already kind of looking at it and going, God, who do we play in these positions? And perhaps adding to that at the moment, not optimal. I'm, I'm happy to give Sabrina the, the cup games. She might not be I don't know if she'll be registered for the Champions League anyway, because you're only allowed to register three players, in three new players in January. And obviously Arsenal brought four in. So one of them's going to have to sit out. And I, I it might be Sabrina just because there are two other goalkeepers there. So I, I think this is another, even though she's 29, I think that's another kind of next season signing. I think we've made quite a lot of those in January. Um, let's have this, um, because we haven't really talked so much about the departures of Jordan Nobbs and Manu, not Manu Iwabuchi, Manu Iwabuchi, <laughs> having gone to Aston Villa and Spurs. And, and question here from Lauren Dempsey at Lauren D2710, and I'll throw this to you, Pippa. Is Jonas at fault for not getting the best out of some players, having seen Manu and Jordan getting goals and assists at their new clubs? I think it raises a lot of questions. Honestly, my first thought was, what, what was the issue? What, what was the problem? Why, why were they not getting the minutes? Because um, I've been to, I went to watch Manor play actually, and it was so strange seeing her in a Tottenham kit. <laughs> but just watching her on the ball and off the ball, I just felt like, why couldn't Jonas get the best out of her? And then Jordan Nobbs the other day gets a hat trick. I mean, it is questionable. Is it something? Is it a non-footballing issue that they wasn't getting played? Or, because it doesn't make sense to me now. Because obviously, when we don't know what happens behind the scenes, and we we sit and we ponder and think, why are they not playing? Yes, we know Jordan had injuries and and so forth, but she's back, she's fit. Surely she can get some game time. And even when she did get game time with us, she scored a wicked goal in the Champions League. She's and she's 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 done amazing, but she wasn't getting enough game time. And now we're seeing her flourish at Aston Villa. Man is doing great. Um, at Spurs and it's it is worrying. Is it is it down to his management style? Honestly, I'm I'm asking questions because I don't have the answers because I'm just as confused as who who asked the question. I'm just as confused as uh, Lauren. Yeah, Lauren, yeah. I'm just as confused as you are because I I would understand if let's say they went on these loans or they went or they left and they played poorly and they couldn't get into the game. Then I'd say I, I understand why you just didn't play them. But it's the complete opposite. They're doing exactly what they expect us to do as professional players and and they're playing well. So it's a strange one. Yeah, I, I I feel differently about the two players. So the thing is, it's a crowded area of the team um, and it's clear. I, I think there are issues probably on the physical. Like, I don't think it's a massive coincidence that two of Arsenal's smallest players physically um, left the team in January. I think uh, Jonas wants a lot more physically. Jordan, I mean, look, Jordan's issue will always be that she plays the same position as Kim Little. And like Jonas didn't really seem to want her as a 10 and at this stage of her career, you know, I think there is logic in a 19-year-old in Catherine Cool having that spot in the squad rather than 30-year-old Jordan Nobbs who's trying to get in the World Cup squad. Mana, I just don't think it worked at Arsenal for Mana. I, I do think that that was a, a physical thing um, as well. I thought the first few months under Jonas, she looked okay, but since like last January, I, I just I, I know she didn't have a lot of chances, but 
I, I just, unfortunately with Mana, that was a Joe signing and she never got to play under Joe. I, I kind of think it's that simple. Jordan, Jordan, I'd love to have kept. I think she could have played more than she did. But even so, I think at this stage of her career, she, she was never going to want that. Um, and, and obviously there's a difference in emotional connection between the two players. But um, yeah, I, I guess in terms of the question like about Jonas not getting the best out of players, I think I think maybe there's a question about squad players. I look at like the first 11 and I don't really think any of them are underperforming or anything like that. But then maybe is there an issue with players who play less and how they develop and how they communicate with the coach? But then like the I think the fact is over the first 18 months of his reign, those have largely been players he doesn't really want or really weren't his players. I'd be much more interested to see how it works now with like Gio, Cool, Palova, D'Angelo, who are going to be squad players, but they're his squad players. So I think that's when we'll be able to answer that question. And let's let's take the last one um, from Clive Bunting at Clive Bunting. I mean, he he's phrased this question in terms of um, your favourite Arsenal women's song um, at the moment. I, I think we dealt with that one on a previous podcast and it's always difficult to think of these things off the top of your head. But Clive just references to how the fans have really stepped up their efforts to support the team this season. And so I'll just ask a general question. I think both of you, like how... Again, I don't want to load the question because I'm I'm delighted about it, right? I, I think it's so, so great to finally go to Meadow Park and hear chanting and see people together in the North Bank and people that know each other meeting up, meeting up before games in pubs and making up songs and stuff like that. I think we've missed this for so, so long. And I, I personally, I just think it's been great to see. But if I go with you first, Alex, just, um, and I know you were at the, the Conti Cup game as well, like, did you ever see a, a char- uh, like a scenario where a Wednesday night Conti Cup game would look and sound like that at Meadow Park? Yeah, no, it was brilliant. And they they made the announcement of the attendance and I was quite shocked because it sounded like double the amount of people that was there. Um, I think they did well to kind of crowd everyone in the same space as well, but it, it, it sounded literally like meh, like... It just didn't sound like the attendance that was there, which was quite nice. Um, and you're obviously seeing against, you know, the Manchester United game that had a good attendance as well. Um, the Chelsea game had a good attendance, but it was quite quiet. I was actually quite disappointed in the atmosphere of that one. Yep. Um, it was very dead. But I think for me, I think the biggest thing now is Champions League. Because it is, mm. it, it does disappoint me um, when you see the rest of the crowds in all the other matches. When you look at, not even, you know, Barcelona is going to be Barcelona. That's always going to be there. But PSG, Bayern Munich, you know, our away game in Munich is going to be a, a good one. And, you know, Bayern Munich do bring in a lot of support. Um, Wolfsburg even, you have all these teams that bring in a lot of support for Champions League. And you have us that don't do anything <laughs> for Champions League. And it looks quite sad if I'm being very blunt. Mm. It is very disappointing because you have... 30 plus thousand for a WSL game. And that's only seen in England, essentially. And then you have a European competition where essentially that's a global competition that's being seen. And you have all these other big stadiums being filled with fans and support. And then you have Arsenal with less than 5,000 fans in a big stadium. 
Um, and it is quite sad and it is quite disappointing. So apart from everything, you know, match days, you know, Boreham Wood is getting filled up and it's what you want to see. But essentially in Champions League games, I think it's very disappointing. Yeah, I, I think you hit upon a really interesting point there and one that I think, you know, the various kind of groups that have sprung up like um, Red and White um, and AWFC Home and Away, who've been who've done just such a good job of galvanising and getting people together and really working on that social side of going to games because that's what creates atmosphere. And I think you've hit on something really interesting there, which is how do we transplant that couple of hundred people in the North Bank who are singing and, you know, making the atmosphere at Meadow Park so good, how do you then transplant that into the Emirates? And I know that's something that these groups are working on with the club, like can we get them sitting together? Where do we get them sitting together in the stadium? And it's difficult in the Emirates because they sell block by block around the sides when ideally you want that really behind the goal. And, you know, there's lots and lots of, you know, how how do we like transplant the atmosphere that's been created, I think, very recently at Meadow Park to to the Emirates. But I mean, Pippa, like not, not just the Man City game, you know, the West Ham away game, which I know wasn't a fantastic game or result for us. But for me, just seeing behind that goal, like an away end and it being full of Arsenal fans. And I know that caught West Ham off guard, by the way, because they announced the game as a sellout. It was not a sellout. And I think what happened was Arsenal sold, sold a load of tickets and they were like, uh-oh, we haven't employed enough staff to deal with a sellout. <laughs> but, you know, seeing like full away ends and, um, you know, just particularly in the North Bank and the East stands, there's there's a real sense of camaraderie building. How, how have you found it um, going to Meadow Park in the last few months? I love it. And and just touching on that West Ham game as well, like it was full to the brim. People had flags. Like it was so nice to have an away game where everyone brings their like banners with them. And there was some Swedish flags there and face paints going on. And it was so, so loud. And I loved that. I mean, I was, unfortunately, I was sat all the way on the other end because um, I couldn't fit into that. <laughs> I got there quite late, so I couldn't fit into that side. So luckily the steward was nice enough to get me a seat on all the way on the other end. But I could hear them. Um, and it was funny because when it looked like we had scored, although we didn't score in goals, um, the, that side went absolutely crazy and it was so loud. But yeah, at Meadow Park, the atmosphere, I love that because for so many years, the players and the club have obviously called that their home and they prefer playing there to the Emirates for for so many reasons but now I can see why more because the atmosphere there you're not going to replicate that at the Emirates Stadium it's you're filling out Meadow Park most games the crowd is louder than it's ever been before there's chants going on I mean I mean there's always been chants to be fair but it would only be a couple of people singing them and it'd always be the same people you kind of got to know who they were but now it's everyone getting involved and I, I absolutely love it. Now it's becoming a fortress and hopefully more teams will be more scared to come there and play. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, like, I'm not saying this is the reason it's happened or anything, but I, I also kind of think um, what a lovely tribute to Maria Petri, for example, um, to take up that 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 baton um, and, and really create that kind of sense of togetherness. And look, it's not our responsibility to make these podcasts positive. Like we don't have to, like um, the questions are the questions and we'll answer them. But um, I, I did want to fit that in uh, to the podcast because I think it's really important what's been happening um, at Meadow Park over the last few months and wanted to kind of pay tribute to the people who are making that happen. I, I know I've had a lot to say in terms of like, I think the, big challenge for women's football is to create that fan culture and I think we're really seeing that at Arsenal now and it's not easy to do it's, it's one of those very much easier said than done 
uh, kind of things. And I just, I love seeing it develop like that. So kudos to everyone um, involved in that. And that brings us to a close uh, for the February mailbag. We will be back. Um, we'll do some other podcasts ahead of the Conti Cup final. Um, you know, uh, Alex, I wonder if you can guess who I'm going to ask to come on the podcast um, to try and preview that one <laughs> um, on March the 5th. Uh, we'll do some podcasts. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we'll do something ahead of the Bayern Munich game as well. I've got a, a decent guest in mind to talk a little bit of Bayern before we play them in March. But obviously... Everything else, Arsenal women, come to Ask Blog News because we've got the lot, podcasts, articles, videos, etc., etc. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on. Always a pleasure. Pippa, go back to bed. <laughs> thank you. My pleasure as always. And we will speak to you very, very soon and we'll do a March mailbag as well. Until then, take care of yourselves and see you later. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Una Chaplin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Hollywood Exiles. It tells the story of how my grandfather, Charlie Chaplin, and many others were caught up in a campaign to root out communism in Hollywood. It's a story of glamour and scandal and political intrigue and a battle for the soul of a nation. Hollywood Exiles from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.